Welcome to the Mother of All Movement podcast with me, Catherine Meadows. I'm a Pilates teacher specializing in postnatal recovery and a mum to two kids myself. The aim of this podcast is to inspire and inform mothers from any stage and to chat about the trials and tribulations of moving your body after having kids. I'll be speaking to women who are coaches, instructors, therapists, athletes and adventurers who all work with mothers in some way and also happen to be mothers themselves. This isn't about perfection, standards or achieving. This is a conversation about how to make the best of the rest of our lives through a nourishing relationship with our bodies and minds. I want to talk about what these women do and how they integrate it into their family lives and essentially why. So join me each week to hear these wonderful women talk about their journey. Hi everyone, welcome to episode two of the Mother of All Movement podcast and today I'm really honoured to be speaking to Rachel Cullen who is the author of the brilliant book Running for My Life, a memoir how I built a better me one step at a time and it's a book that I took away with me on my summer holidays, my long summer holidays this year and I literally could not put this down. It was so... Um, all enveloping. There was so much more to it than I think I was kind of expecting when I first opened it. Um, And I feel like there are a lot of themes that Rachel talks about in there that would be familiar to a lot of people listening. And so um, I really wanted to chat to her um, about her experience with running, her relationship with running, and um, uh, and now where she's going after having a daughter a few years ago and how she works now. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much. Hi, Catherine. And, and I'm, I'm really excited to be on um, your podcast number two. That's it's very much in its infancy. So that's all, um, you know, high five to you on that one. And I'm, I'm happy to be here chatting away to you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I think it's fair to say from having read your book that you had, you have had a rocky relationship with running or <laughs> through fair. your life. Would that be fair? Yes. Um, I mean, I started off just blatantly um, having a quite an intense um hatred um, of it through the sort of teenage years and sort of the the horrendous cross-country experiences where you know we, we were sort of um forced to adorn these um incredibly um offensive gray gym knickers and sort of parade oh, ourselves oh, around yeah. just awful on every level and um you know, it was the case literally that there was only one person in our um, year group that was slower than me um, on that, um, you know, at that activity. So running really wasn't something that anyone would perhaps have, have thought, you know, might come into my life in any other context, and certainly not in, not in a in a positive um, context and in such an important way um, as it subsequently subsequently did. And. Um, just from reminding myself of, of where you sort of had come from up to that point, you, you um, yourself and your sister were brought up, um, uh, you know, obviously in the same family, but you had very different relationships with movement 
um, and uh, you know, a sort of reward yeah. food, things like that within your family. Your sister was a ballet dancer, is that right? Yeah, yeah and, and I think we, we had very different relationships with, from a very early age, we, with body image. Um, you know, I was um, labelled perhaps as the less sporty, less active, more academic, more sedentary, um, sort of chubby youngster and um, whereas my sister was sort of she had these long limbs and you know she was you know she didn't have to be dragged kicking and screaming to, to the ballet class you know it was very much in her comfort zone that she felt able to partake in in, in sort of you know what many people when many young girls um, it wouldn't be a big deal but to me it felt like an alien concept um, and I did have a, a very early onset um, difficult relationship um, with not only physical activity and exercise but with my own, my own body and, and how that was perceived. And how, do, how did that then show up over time with the way that you related to the normal sort of you know, activities, kids activities or sort of sports at school yeah, or anything like that? I always, I always felt um, as if it was something that wasn't for me, you know, it, oh, sport, it, it's just not my thing, it wasn't for me, you know, I was familiar with not being picked for the, um, for the, for the sporting teams at school, I had very little interest, if, if truth be told, yeah. but I think it was one thing that fed the other, it was sort of, you were given a label, or you, you mm. pick up, perceive that you've been given this, this label of being this kind of child, and then you almost live up to it, so that's sort of what happened, and then, you know, I was the academic, um, studious one so so guess what that's what I then became and that's sort of, you know it's a case of um whether it's nature or nurture but that's how I sort of more I morphed into this person that that did you know it, it became a sort of just you know the, the sport thing just just wasn't for me and it just wasn't anywhere on my radar you know my parents weren't particularly sporty um, school didn't seem to encourage um, anybody back in the day and we are talking about you know a good couple of decades ago here I'm sure I hope it's different but you know unless you were talented and gifted in in, in certain sports and certain areas you were generally left to sort of you know your own devices and, and there was nothing you know there was no sort of this girl can mantra mm. uh, or it didn't feel particularly inclusive mm. um, and then as, as the teenage years and sort of the body changes and um, kicked in um, and then the self-confidence plummeted and, and you know comfort eating started and then it was sort of yeah just a really unhealthy relationship with I was thing and, and you know my, my body um, it just became something that from a young age I felt an intense um, dislike for and and sort of a rejection of it but yet I didn't know how to really what that was or how to to um to, to do anything about it so it was almost like this you don't realize it until many years later either when you're in the thick of it as te as you know in the teenage years but it was it was an unhealthy relationship with with physical activity well there was no relationship there really yeah and it was the comfort eating and then it was the sort of you know morphing into this version of, of Rachel that I'd been sort of led to believe that, that, that I was without considering that there were other alternatives. Yeah and I think something that's something as parents as mothers that we a lot of us can recognize that it, it, it can be really easy to label our children in that way but then I think a lot of hopefully a lot of us are very aware of how 
important it is not to label them as the sporty or the academic one or the clever one or the pretty one or the whatever it is now but you know I'm sure a lot of us can also really recognize yeah you're you're told that you're one thing and actually you spend a lot of time going oh that's that's the only way that I can go yeah I've not been given the space to be able to go actually I might like to try out something different but and also I think you know it was a very different um world you know back back in the day Mm. the world as many opportunities and you know for you know things like park run junior park run and you know the clubs and activities that are available today you know it just wasn't I mean even the the extracurricular um activities around schools around senior schools around junior schools you know my daughter's school um it's recently done a 1k a day um initiative where they get out and do I think it's something ridiculous like 17 laps of their um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> still fail to, to to run 1k um every day on subject to you know it being decent weather I think that's more for the teachers than, than the kids themselves but um you know there are so many more opportunities now nowadays and you know I don't want to give the impression that I'm somehow blaming my parents or my upbringing for this it's just um there wasn't particularly a negative connotation um around sporting and and fitness for me it just didn't exist for me I think it was it was the omission of that as, as being a part of my um, life and that was at school it was it was in my pastimes it was in every aspect of of my life so it wasn't just that my parents some sort of drummed into me this is who you are and how you are no, it's almost, no yeah it's almost like whether it, whether it be um something that just just wasn't even on their radar it wasn't to 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 be be relevant but it's just something that in hindsight looking back um, I certainly morphed into this version and it's you know my perception you know I was a very analytical a very um, aware uh, deep thinking child and, and I thought you know I, I took things very much to heart and um, you know it was my own perception I think and um, you know there are many children that wouldn't have, have been so deep thinking about certain issues but you know it, it was my that that was my thing and I think I sort of absorbed this you know the academia and sedentary sort of label and sort of ran with it and I think there's something that really struck me from your book was that um you you were so aware but you're so aware of the of um objectively of of you know your experience of the things that people said and then what that led you down to like things that occurred in teenage years stuff people said when you had lost some weight because you'd started running and the way that you were then more visible or things like that I was so um you know I, I couldn't imagine myself being that's aware of of my own thoughts or the or the sort of the effects of the things that people said I thought that was really interesting that you and like you said you're very sensitive and I think that that came up you know with with some of your relationships with um you know your mom and things like that as well and your dad mm-hmm. um but then also with friends yeah. and like I said into teenagehood right yeah, I think I've got to sort of put it in um, a rational, um, con- a sensible context on this too. I mean, you've got to understand that in writing the book, I do have the benefit of, you know, I'm able to look back now mm, as a, yeah. I'm 40 year old. And so, you know, I am able to sort of put um, a very, an adult 
um, spin on the experiences. And and I think at the time, just to be really clear, because I wouldn't want people to think, oh God, she was so aware of this happening and that being the outcome and, and that being the effect on her. That's not the case. And back at back in the day, you know, you mentioned um, when I when I first started. Uh, running in the weight loss and you know I went through a lot of physical changes least of all um for, for anybody who has read the book or um you know knows anything about my my story I subsequently ended up having a breast redu- reduction because it became apparent that I had an um, asymmetrical breast and that, that was only apparent really as a result of the, the weight loss and I think it caused me such a head mess and such a confusion because people began to um, respond differently to me when I was two close sizes smaller than, than they had before. And, and it did cause me a huge um, jolt um, emotionally. And, and that when I really was already, you know, very deeply into um, suffering with, with mental health issues, with depression, with, um, you know, body dysmorphia, and, you know, that was starting to rear its, its ugly head. It did cause me an awful lot of confusion. It began to make me question, you know, what was my validity um, based on, you know, was it on a close size? Was it on a, a weight and like a number on scale? You know, where was it on, you know, how symmetrical my, my boobs are? I mean, all those things really did mess with my head and it did take me many years to sort of unpick uh, myself from from that. So I don't want people to think, oh, God, she was so aware and so rationally able to process this stuff back in the day. That's just not the case. It's only with sort of hindsight and in retrospect. Um, and with a lot of help, you know, with a lot of help and support and just being able to work through what those issues were and what they meant to me and where they take me as an adult, that I've been able to sort of put that spin on them. Yeah, absolutely. I completely, I completely understand that. I can see that being able to sit back from a point of view of having more clarity over um, things gives you gives you greater insight into what was going on in your head at the time. Um, and I think this issue about the sort of the visibility um, at um, different, like you said, clothes sizes or <coughs> whatever, whatever seemed like it was different at the time, I think it's a really important point and something that quite a lot of women would be able to absolutely understand and, and, and connect with because... There's that thing of, you know, we and you know, postnatally as mothers as well, that our worth is tends to be a lot more on. Oh, you're looking amazing. Look at you. You don't look like you've had a baby at all, or something like that. But if you still look like you're carrying around the baby weight, apparently that doesn't make you so worthwhile. You know, there's that. You're more visible yeah. if you're looking awesome striding down the street in like your sort of, I don't know, white company clothes or whatever it is, you know, looking amazing. But if you're looking a bit rubbish, then somebody's thinking, oh, poor her, she's obviously having a really bad time, I'll just steer clear. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I totally agree um, with that, Catherine. I think it's a real, potentially, it's a real minefield for, 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 for us as women because on the one hand, you know, I take great pride. I love being fit. I love looking uh, athletic. I love having you know, a, a body that, you know, looks like it, it works hard, it trains hard and it's capable of, of far more than as a 17-year-old I ever imagined it would be and I'm 40 years old and I'm, and I'm, and I'm very proud of that. And I think it gives me an air of confidence when, you know, I am in the overclass or I am walking down the street and, and you know, that does give me um, that confidence that I've got, you know, is that, 
sort of visibility, as you say, is that as a result of, um, of exuding that confidence and sort of having that air of actually, you know, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm proud of, 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 you know, the, the physical um, yeah, result of, of hard work and, and of, of hard training. Is it that confidence? And so arguably, could I have that um, when I was, you know, at, at my you know, lowest levels of fitness and, and if I have had that level of confidence and self-belief then you know would the response from people have been different and far more positive you know was it because I was so low in myself back in the day and the vibes I was getting were those of you know this sort of invisibility and of um, um, lacking in any acknowledgement of, 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 of my worth and then that was again my perception so you know is this down to purely aesthetics or is it down to our own perception and, and the, the vibe that we um, that we sort of exude which can be either one of strength and confidence or of, of you know conversely of, of somebody that, that's sort of hiding away in, a, in our baggy clothes and thinking you know staring down at the floor I mean you know it's for me, it's a difficult one to um, come to any definite conclusion because, you know, and again, it did mess with my head, you know, somebody who struggles with mental health issues, of course, questioning what your validity is based on and what your work is based on. Um, and if that hangs on the fact that, you know, you were so lighter than you were six months ago, well, I'm still the same person, you know, I'm still me. How on earth is that the case? I'm suddenly worse. Um, you know, more attention and, you know, I suddenly worked the conversations that I wasn't before. It did cause me, you know, a lot of, of really a lot of distress um, as a young adult coming into this sort of ever-evolving, ever-changing, um, you know, person I, I would become. And it was a very, very rocky path. Um, trying to navigate my way through when really, you know, I was very confused as to, I guess, what my um, self-worth was based on. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and, I, and, and that's a really good point about how you, you're exuding your confidence. It could be at any size and so, or any size or whatever you've been up to and any sort of feelings of it's to do with your own relationship with your body just as much as it is to do with um, an external viewpoint. I guess... I wanted to acknowledge that I think nowadays, you know, there are far more, it's far more um, prevalent that women, you know, we are supporting um, each other in sort of having this level of, of sort of self-confidence, inner self-belief, regardless of, of body size. I think things like the um, This Girl Can movement and the inclusivity and that, you know, that's helping everybody, I believe, to, um to have that level or to try and get to a level of sort of self-acceptance that perhaps back in the day it wasn't quite so um, open and supportive. So I think that's just one thing that I think is, is different nowadays than it was back in the day for me. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that social media has actually in that way helped a little bit because it is there are those sorts of campaigns that are promoting it? Even despite yeah. the fact that there are the other side yeah. too. Yeah, I mean that's a whole new sort of political um, <laughs> hot potato. Yeah, there are some very negative. Um, I've I've got my own thoughts on on sort of certain social media, and it's very. Easy. I think it's a very double-edged sword, and there are there are various aspects of it that I think as girls and as women we need to be very wary of. 
um, particularly. So I'm not, you know, that is is, is one good aspect, one good side of, of social media. Um, but, but, you know, that's opening a whole new kind of, uh, of pass in terms of mm. my thoughts around, around, you know, other potential, um, uh, yeah, controversial areas, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel eternally grateful that social media was not around when I was a teenager, I have to say, because that feels like... A yeah. whole, you know, other uh, area of self-consciousness and, uh, yeah. you know, being unsure of what you really mean, where you are and all the rest of it. Yeah, and just endless comparisons. I mean, at, yeah. at, the, at the end of the day, I think, you know, for me back in, in, in the, the the thick of, of, of my own personal angst, you know, I was age 16, 12 and a half stone, um, unable to run for 10 minutes on a treadmill you know I, you know I was carrying excess weight and amongst my peers you know I did um you know I did feel it feel different and I did and I did look um different you know I was surrounded by you know other girls around me um, were far more petite you know far more lithe and, and slender um than I was and, and felt but you know, I was only surrounded by my small circle of school friends and, you know, I didn't have to compare myself to a whole sea of of people with the with the toned abs on on Absolutely. So, you know, it, it does horrify me on a serious note when I see girls taking selfies in the gym mm. and changing rooms and, and they may only be 14, 15 years old. And I just think to myself, you know, why and um, who are you doing this for and why and what's to be gained from it? So mm. I do think that it's a really, really dangerous um place this this virtual world of, of perceived per- perfection um and as somebody who's suffered from and, and continues to 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 manage the condition but but it never ends body dysmorphia it, it's a very dangerous place and i think it's some it's somewhere to be mindful of of and i will be sort of warning my daughter of the perils of that um, as she gets older mm, yeah absolutely i think um because there's the they take the selfie, they put it on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is they're doing, and then they wait for the response and their worth is measured by the number yeah. of likes and they get their dopamine hits by making sure they get 20, 100, whatever it is, likes on that platform. And then everything that they do is bound around getting the best shot and the most likes and the yeah. what have you. Then you have to you have to then understand and comprehend that that may that that, that image may be absolutely nothing like you know that the reality, reality. Of, yeah. of, of of their image you know when you see them in the gym changing room and you hear them talking and they're very ordinary um, young girls mm. you know sometimes these very sexual um, sexualized images and these very sort of raunchy um, shots but for for what purpose and to to impress whom I'm not you know that's for, for them to, to know but it's a very dangerous place to be when in actual fact we all have to exist in a real world of some description mm-hmm. um, and I think to portray an image and then um, cast that out into a virtual world but then have to exist in a, in a real one is, is a real dichotomy and I think it's something that is potentially quite um, quite dangerous for, for sort of self-image and self-worth of, of young girls and women of probably any age. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, extending that into that postnatal time as well when mental health can be so um, shaky and it's a whole new time when a lot of women haven't experienced 
any mental health issue before and then that continual comparison of you know it can start from something like everybody else's baby sleeping and mine isn't or you know they're managing to breastfeed perfectly and I've had to bottle feed so I feel like a failure yada 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 and it goes on and on and on and then if you're also not looking like you have never had a baby six months after you've had one then there's that level of comparison that you have to live up to as well which can be very destructive right I think also you hit the you know the the word there is comparison and it seems to me as though it's an endless comparison and actually you know it's this is it's in a virtual existence this is not in reality Mm. you're talking about you know we've all got the filters on our phones we can all delete um, the horrendous selfies that we take where where actually you know the bags under your eyes you know they're the, they're the things that stand out not the sunset in the background you know we are all able to do that and take the shot again and and I think it's it's the uh, the reminder of you know the the the, the disparate um yeah the, the distance between that per- perceived um, reality and, and and what is actually um, and and factually in existence. I think it's it's that and it's the endless comparisons and pressure that we put ourselves under. And as women, we're very good at putting ourselves under un, un, undue amounts of pressure to be some to be more to to look better to um, all of these things. And I guess it's a real balance because um, I'm all for striving forward and for, for for progress and for challenging yourself and setting goals. And for God's sake, I've written a book, you know, largely based on that. But there comes a point when it needs to be balanced with some level of self-acceptance and of, you know, appreciating whatever does exist in your normality without this constant um, sort of checking in with what happens in some other world that we're not a part of. Yeah, Um, absolutely, yeah. I think it's just and it's a very difficult balance to strike because like I said it's it's um you know I'm writing a bit um, about, about this um for for my my current book and it is about you know setting yourself high standards and goals to reach and in goals to aim for in whatever contact context that may be but then on the same you know on, on some kind of um sliding scale where does self-acceptance and you know the word enough come in and where does it become the case that you know we we look as as good as we're going to look or you know we've achieved you know the place this epiphany this this place magical place where you know we're all striving for that nobody ever seems to get to and I think it's just it's a balance to try and work out where that is um and to accept sometimes our own limitations Absolutely, and that you know, for a lot of for a lot of people, women getting up and getting the kids out of the door, clothes, dressed, fed, everybody with some clothes on—that is enough. That's more than enough. That is, you know, what what more can you expect of yourself? You're holding an awful lot of stuff. Sorry. Yeah. Well. no, the, the other the other thing for um, for me as well, and this is a point I really want to make very clear. It was my own personal goal to run the London Marathon um, mm. seven months after I'd had my daughter, and that was a really big thing for me to do. It was a really important. It was it was a, a fundamental goal for my mental health and and to pull me and get me back on track and to take control of of, of my life again in this new place called motherhood. Mm. But I've got to make it really clear. You know, I'm not suggesting that you know 
it, it's God, God knows it's hard enough, and that may not be the goal for for <laughs> any for, for other new mums. You know, it is hard enough to get your kids dressed and washed into the to preschool or to school, and you know, it doesn't have to be a goal of that kind of size and enormity. Sometimes the little goals actually they're all incremental that can lead to these these other places but you don't have to I once wrote a blog called you need I don't have to climb Everest I don't have to cycle up Everest yeah we don't have to set ourselves these you know monumental um goals and I think that again social media there's this big thing of oh people are running um 24 hours around a a 400 meter track or people are climbing (laughs) Everest and you know I should be doing that and actually you know it's enough sometimes to keep hold of your own sanity, to be a, a, a decent, you know, good human being, a good parent, um, and to do, you know, to do a park run at the weekend, that can be enough. Um, and again, it's this thing of where does the sliding scale, um, where does it have to go to the, these silly, enormous goals? For me, that was a very personal thing, and I wasn't driven to do that um, by anyone or anything other than myself, but it doesn't have to be the case that other people set themselves these challenges that they're of that kind of scale. It's not, that's not the thing that can and will necessarily help someone else, but it did help me. And why, uh, so, because I seem to remember from what you had written that after you'd had your daughter, you spent some time trying to find and think about something that you could really give yourself as a target and a challenge and something that you could really get your get your teeth into, and like you've just said, it helped. It was there to aid your sort of mental health and your recovery, postnatal, and things like that. Why was that so important to you? It was massively important to me, and it sort of it it, it was almost like an like an epiphany. It was um, it was such a fundamental. Um, I think I think it was about control. I think it was about me taking control and taking back the reins from. I felt so. Uh, I felt as I'd lost all control with with motherhood. You know, I I I was no longer. Um, I, I'd been so self absorbed going through sort of my twenties and you know on Prozac for many years and and you know drinking throughout that time and you know really. Um, the, the whole concept, the whole thought of, of having to put, you know, this other little person before me, it really, um, it really threatened to sort of knock me off, off kilter and to put me in a place that I'd never been before in terms of this, the fear of, of motherhood and what that meant. Um, and I think, you know, in looking back to, to the journey that I'd been on up to that point, you know, running had ebbed and flowed it'd been sort of there and then it disappeared I'd done a few half marathons I'd entered into the New York marathon in 2006 that pulled out because I'd, 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 I'd um, done something else um, instead so I'd never I'd never reached the the starting line of, of that marathon and I think it was just it was all it was the build-up of the previous sort of 10 um, 12 years and um, I'd never done a marathon before and I think it was just it felt big enough to scare me but I'd worked hard on doing, you know, some half marathons. Um, you know, my, my fitness was 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 it, it was it was good, average good. You know, I hadn't been um, running through my pregnancy or anything like that. But it just seemed to me to sort of fall in line with what I'd almost been preparing for over the past ten to twelve years. But it felt to be a big enough goal to sort of shock me um, and to to, to make me 
really commit to that. And, and I think on, on, on a very basic level, I fully believe that if I was able to commit to the, to the training and, and if I got myself to the start line and then to the finish, it was sort of proof that I could take control of, of all these fears and doubts I had of, of becoming a mum. Yeah. Uh, and that, that would give me a, a huge amount of self-belief. And, and that's, that's exactly what happened. And um, uh, you were, you know, you'd spent a long time talking in the book about how concerned you were or terrified possibly of, of getting pregnant. Um, yeah. How, what, what was your experience at that? So what, what were you doing at that point? Can you, can you tell us what you were up to life-wise um, at the point, of, you know, when you got pregnant and how, yeah. how did that change and what happened? Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a funny one really because um, I, uh, I hadn't really, really ever grown up wanting to to be a mum or, or perhaps believing that I that I that I would or or, or could be uh, become a mum or you know have a child and I think some of that may may have been down to my mental health demons some of some of it may have been just just you know massive self-doubt um you know I had experienced a lot of emotional turmoil through my um you know teenage years into, into my 20s so you know the thought of of becoming a mum did scare me um I've seen my body morph into so many different um, places that I could barely comprehend what pregnancy might do to it. I'd been through the breast reduction. I wasn't sure what would happen there. You know, would I be able to breastfeed? You know, it was quite a big operation. It's not like an implant where they just cut a nice little, little um, slot, you know, slit in, in, mm. in, and it was a full sort of, um, it was a full mashings and, and you know there was a serious risk I may not be able to breastfeed um, they could get very sw- swollen and very painful um, so I really just didn't didn't know where um, physically I would I would end up I didn't know what what would happen and, and that's without taking into consideration the fact you know coming off Prozac you know that would have to be the case because I sort of knew I wouldn't be able to continue on that medication through pregnancy um, but that said, in, in my early thirties, I was in a, a, a stable relationship, a good relationship. Um, you know, we talked about um, having a child, and and I think hormonally, you know, it just kicked in. You know, literally, the, the desire to become a mum just came and and sort of steamrolled me. Um, and I wasn't expecting it. I never imagined it would happen, and it hasn't happened since, thankfully. But you know, back then, it did. It literally it came over me and and you know in this this place of relative stability you know myself and my, and my then partner and um, we decided to to try for for a, a child and you know we, we were very fortunate and, and you know within a few months of, of trying um you know I, I fell pregnant so it sort of it was it was unexpected in, in the sense of I hadn't anticipated motherhood would come and the drive to become a mum would come and get me <laughs> Um, but that's sort of what it did um, and, and that sort of overrode the fears that I had to then put something in place to manage the terror around that and to take back some control of you know otherwise I did feel very vulnerable um, and I think it was about you know putting things in place to, to make sure that I would be okay and if I was the only way I could be a good mum a decent mum and you know a healthy responsible responsible mum was it was if I was okay myself and because without that I'd experienced um being brought up by a mum who loved me um you know 
enormously, but, but she wasn't in a, in a great place herself. And then I saw that in order for me to be, to not pass that on to, to my child, I would have to be in a good place myself. So it was with that in mind that I then sort of, you know, set this, this goal. Yeah. And, and I think that is something that I know a lot of us could definitely, you know, connect with that, you know, your own mental health makes every every difference in the world to the way that your family is just on a day-to-day basis let alone on a lifelong um, mental stability thing you know you as mothers and unfortunately this does create quite a lot of pressure but we are the sort of the linchpin and the sort of emotional stability and you're absolutely right it has to be that you prioritize your own mental health before you do before anyone else's because you are the and and also you're leading you're you're showing your daughter now that that actually she she cares for herself first and that's important yeah and that was really important to me and I think the only way that I inherently knew that was because I'd experienced the, the the alternative um and it was very, very important for me to grow up and be a strong, um, you know, a strong motherly, motherly figure in, in terms of, you know, I, I didn't want my daughter to feel any sort of the sense of, of crippling, you know, you know cripplingly um, low self-worth that I had absorbed from, from my own mum. And, and I was desperate for that not to be the case. And I didn't I wanted that to be to be something that I would be able to to master very early on in her life and something that will continue um, and and that is a daily weekly monthly yearly thing you know the, the, that's something that you know I want my daughter to look back on her childhood and know that she had a mum she has a mum um, that has um self-worth and she she can recognize that she can see that um, and she knows what that is because in that way she won't have to work out for herself when she gets into sort of teenagers and adulthood what that might be, what that might look like. Um, and, and it's my view that that may then enable her to, you know, make, um, you know, to be picky with boyfriends, to make strong decisions, to to be the person that has that confidence to, to say, um, you know, if somebody isn't treating you well, well, I'm sorry, that's not good enough, you know. It, just I'm worth more than that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm worth more than that. And and to have that level of, of self-worth. And and it was my view um from pregnancy really that the only way that she would have that would be to have a mum that did. Um and really for her to absorb just as, as I did with, with mine, um, conversely. Mm. Um, what that looks and feels like and as you say Catherine on a daily basis so you know she sees me carving out time to to go and train she sees me doing the races she sees me um you know doing all those things that make me um feel better about myself and 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 keep and those things that keep me in that place of, of mental strength and physical strength and and she understands what that is um and I think for that alone, um, you know, over the past eight years, I mean, she's just turned eight. Um, over the past eight years, she has witnessed that, and it's my hope that she then recognizes um, sort of what inner strength looks like, and and really what's needed or what's necessary to to ensure that that 
that that is maintained and she knows what that means for me she knows that I prioritize my running sometimes you know I could easily drive her home from park run um on a on a Sunday morning when we do that together it's often the case that she you know she gets a lift back um with with Gav um my husband and I'll run back because she knows that then that's my that's my fix for the day and that and that's you know reset the button and little things like that she's seen that over the past Mm. eight and she understands what that is and why Mm, absolutely and and uh, there's that there's that thing that we uh, myself as a trainer of adults encourages other adults to do which is make um, activity fit into your life so like you've just said you know you ran home you run home from park run yeah. so that you can get your dis- the distance that you want to do in and that, so you get some time by yourself all of those stuff that's important whatever way it is and yeah. and I spend a lot of my time talking to my clients saying things like that you know how can you fit in more activity into your life and if if yeah. she if you can learn if the next generation can learn that by seeing their parents going I'm going to run home from work or I'm going to cycle to the furthest yeah. train station that I can get to so yeah. that I can get some exercise something like that then they'll be like all right so if I walk home from school or well, I'm getting some nice exercise yeah well the, the other thing so I sort of I mean I can take things to the extreme because that's sort of in my nature as well um but you know things like you know there are times when you know when the weather's nice in the summer you know I'll drive Tilly up to school with her bike in the back of the car I'll lock her bike up um in the in the playground and then she'll cycle back home and I'll run with her so you know we do we do do those things there are times when I'll park um, a mile and a half away from school and I'll walk to school to pick her up and we'll walk a mile and a half back to the car because she needs the fresh air just as I do or you know she's been in the school environment yeah. um, all day and actually it's not just about me you know that's special time for us you know we can we can walk home together and have a sausage roll and hold hands and yeah. you know do those things and it's no effort the only effort is you know that it is is for me to set off half an hour earlier and for me to walk the mile and a half it is to pick her up but actually you know when you put those in place it's not a big sacrifice to do that when the alternative is to drive there pick her up come home and then she's a little bit fed up and miserable because she's not had any fresh air just Mm. as I would you know would be um so I think, you know, we do try and do the things. And park runs, you know, the junior park run events, you know, we've been doing that now for um, for four years. Um, it doesn't happen every Sunday because there are some days when, you know, if I'm marathon training, it may not be possible or she may be with her dad or I might have a race on. But, you know, she's just done her 53rd junior oh, yes. park. I saw that. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that is some incredible numbers at her age, right? Yeah, of course, and and but it's just the thing that it's our special time, and, and it's her becoming familiar with the simple, um, you know, without any pressure, without any ass kicking, without any sort of dragging around, screaming, and I have seen kids crying, being, oh. <laughs> being, um, <laughs> uh, don't get me started. Oh, but, nice. you know, That's awesome. Yeah, and um, but it doesn't happen often, thankfully. But anyway, in our context. You know, it's special time for us. It's a really good activity for a Sunday morning. Um, and we do incorporate that as a sort of a part of, of our routine. Like I say, it's not every week because there, there are some weeks when there are other things going on or it might be that, that there is a race or something else. But where we can, 
um, you know, be it sunny or rainy, we will we will wrap up and, and go and do it. And I, and I just think for her to become familiar with discovering her own levels of fitness um, and activity and just being outdoors and enjoying that experience and feeling the achievement. You know, you do get the half marathon band when you've done 11 um, park runs. You do get the full marathon when you've done 21 because that's the sort of equivalent of the um, – marathon distance you get the ultra when you've done 50 you know these are for, for, for a young child you know these are great sort of um rewards for, for just turning up um and for giving it a go and, and when she was very young she used to be terrified of sort of what if I can't run two laps today mum and actually you know there were times in the early days when she couldn't but we'd walk for sort of 10 trees and then run for 10 trees and eventually she'd, she'd run it um it at all and then without putting the pressure on her you know, it develops her fitness, her strength, her confidence. And before you know it, she, she's got her um, certificate and, and her ultramarathon. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, the things that you said about the benefits, um, I put a post on my Instagram yesterday about my kids doing a triathlon, uh, their first triathlon, um, not last weekend, the weekend before that in Brighton. And it wasn't about, like, the actual doing of the activity, especially for... A, triathlon you know it's quite full-on and really it was about the experience of being part of an organized sport which meant you had to be responsible for yourself yeah you had to listen to what the marshals were saying and the safety instructions and things like that you had to take charge with where you were going like have your head on like okay I've got to pick up my and then for my daughter who's the same age as yours um and she was doing the the real triathlon like a sea swim and then a cycle and and a run she had to set out all of her clothes and you know really take responsibility for what she's doing because I wasn't allowed in the transition area and and all of that no pressure from us and it just reminded me of the enormous power that sport has um for whoever you are you know and whatever the results the that she got to the end and she knew that she had done that both of them that they had done that all by themselves you know they hadn't we hadn't carried them or pushed them or told them they had to or forced them or done anything they had done it because they wanted to and they really wanted to push hard and and also, I think I think on the on the back of that, there's, there's one thing as well that's really important to to mention for you know for your children doing that event, which is incredible as, as well. Like you say, at their ages, and um, and it's this: it's being brave enough to put yourself on the start line. And I think as a child, if you can conquer the fears or the sort of the you know the monkey on your back or the or the bastard chimp that tries to say to you, "You're not good enough. You will make a fool of yourself. You can't do this." If you can wrestle with that. And just be brave enough to try, just be brave enough to stand on the start line of whether it's a, a triathlon or a mini triathlon or junior park run um, and, and sort of try and do something to prove to yourself that regardless of the outcome, actually, regardless of what happens, I'm brave enough to be here and I'm brave enough Adults can learn a lot from that because that's one of the things that's done my self-confidence such a lot of good is just time and time again proving that in spite of all the worries and the anxiety and the fear I am brave enough to, to put myself on the starting line again um, and risk the outcome and I think for a child to learn 
that that's an essential part of, of their own development and if they're building confidence and self-esteem and the pride they will feel afterwards whatever else happens they've had the balls to actually put themselves there and they didn't know what the outcome would be and I think that's a really important part of, of, of doing um you know as my daughter has done and as your children children have done um, and that's a really big thing Absolutely. And like you said, it's the same for adults, isn't it? For knowing that you said yes to that thing that you thought, I'm yeah. never, ever yeah. going to be able to run 5K. So and yeah. on, on that, you know, from being somebody who, when you first started running as a teenager, you, you really didn't enjoy it. You spent a long time yeah. hating running, didn't you? Like how on earth you, like what, for, for a start, what made you decide to go running like what made you get those trainers out and put them on and, and get you going but but secondly what advice would you give to somebody who was sitting in the same position of thinking I am in I mean look at me I'm clearly not a runner like everyone thinks that runners look like you know what I couldn't possibly turn up at a park run or do a race for life or do anything what would your advice be on, on sort of both of those camps yeah, so I think the, the first thing, it was a funny one for me because um, I'd recently, I, was, I was only 18, so, you know, we're talking many years ago, and, and I'd recently been, been dumped by, by the, the most god-awful boyfriend who's yeah. history. Yeah, he, he doesn't get a good, a good um, press yeah. in the book, let's say. Um, and, and that all happened, and he wasn't particularly great for my self-esteem. I think uh, we've all got one of those in our in our backgrounds, haven't we? Yeah. Probably the law that the female we have to experience that once in our lifetime, hmm. sadly, or, you know, hopefully just once if at all. Um, but yeah, it's on the back of sort of being dumped by that particular um, <laughs> sort of young man, <laughs> back in the day, uh, young man. Um, that yeah, my, my self confidence was at an all time low, and um, dare I say. It, it was more from a position of sort of self-loathing and of rejecting myself and, and, and believing that I wasn't fit for purpose, I wasn't good enough. So sadly for me, and the honest answer is, I didn't start running for any kind of kick-ass, this girl, no. yeah. it came from a place, and I'm being honest, it came from a place of rejecting myself and of believing that I wasn't... Um, that I wasn't good enough, that, that I was defunct in, in some way. So, um, you know, that's the sad truth. But And I think it was running because, well, I had the kit, you know, I couldn't argue with the fact I had a pair of trainers and all I needed to do was put them on and get out the bloody door. You know, it was as simple as that. Yeah. And I sort of knew logically that as hard and, and as awful as it was, you know, it would ultimately lead in sort of, you know, hopefully some weight loss um, and, you know, I hadn't even contemplated that it could have any impact on the mental health because at that time, you know, I just felt so lousy. You know, you don't have a rational view as to, oh, this is going to be great for my men mental no, health. No, no, yes, absolutely. That happen. It happens just by virtue of, of going and doing it and you realise you, you're feeling better as a result. But that's how it started for me. Um, and in, in terms of your other question, what would I say to people? Um, a, read my book. Um, if you want to know about how it really starts and, and, and how it can change over time, then then I'm your, um, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm the person that, that's, that's been through that journey. Um, mm. And the other 
The other thing is know that it's going to hurt. You know, accept and know that it, that it's going to push you outside of your comfort zone. Now, whether you have to do stop and walk, um, and you know, I used to see inclines as being these enormous hills, so I'd stop and walk up those, and you know, hang on to the to the wall, you know, cling onto the wall around a corner where I knew the traffic wouldn't be able to see me before I'd go again. Um, know that it's going to be uncomfortable and I think it's accepting and knowing that if you're going to change and if you're going to put yourself in a place where you want to feel the benefit of fitness and of activity and of exercise and of, and of making the effort to put your trainers on it or whatever it may be understand that then you have to go outside of your comfort zone and to do that it's going to hurt um, and it's almost in, in knowing that it, it gives you a sense of comfort because then you expect it, you know, don't be surprised then when you're breathing out of your backside because you've just run um, the length of your road and, and you're thinking, well, you know, God, how am I going to get around this this circuit that I've set for myself? It may take you some time to do it, a park run. It may take you some time to do it in one go, but you're already pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. So just keep doing that. Um, but it's there's some comfort in knowing that it's going to be a struggle because if it was easy, then there would be no benefit, there'd be no change. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Uh, and I know a friend who, of mine who's a life coach would say, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Yeah. You know, if you don't do something different to the way that you are now, then nothing is going to change. And if you're not happy with the way that things are at the moment, then something has to change. And that might be a level of discomfort on... Yeah, where you are at the moment, which is maybe unhappy or in a painful state, but you're possibly comfortable in that because that's what you've got used to. But yeah. um, and, and, and also the other thing, sorry to interrupt. No, the other thing to, to to know is this: you know that you know arguably, if you're going to improve whatever level you are with your running or your your cycling or your your fitness, you know that continues that will never stop you know it will always be it will always be the case, and that's been proven um for me over the past twenty years you know in 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 improving and in getting faster and and in um in striving to to sort of you know maybe raise the bar or set different challenges you know that pain and and sort of accepting and facing a level of discomfort and pain it, there isn't a point at which that ends because that's how all of us improve and that's how all of us continue to sort of you know develop on our on our journey and people say to me you know oh um one of my, one of my reasons for writing the book was to dispel this 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 myth that somehow you know oh it must be easy for you winning marathons yeah. look yeah. at you when you've done them before and you, you know yeah. And it's hang on a minute, just hang on a minute. Do you really think? I mean, you know, I, I I nearly threw up after a park run the other the other week because I pushed myself out of my comfort zone, and it was very it was physically very very tough, and and I worked hard, and you know there were times, and this is during a five k race. This is this is it, and it's not a race, it's a run. But for me, you know, I pushed myself at that park run, and I um you know I struggled, and I wanted to stop at one point, and you know, it was hard work. And I think for people who are almost, you know, they haven't, they're not used to experiencing that level of, of discomfort. It's almost a case of whatever level and whatever stage your fitness is at and whatever stage where, wherever you're starting from, it's going to hurt. And in order to, 
to get off the starting blocks, just know that it's meant to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Yes, exactly. And actually, um, you know, from my point of view as a Pilates teacher, people talk all the time, oh, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure it's supposed to hurt. Well, n- Joseph Pilates who invented the method, never invented an exercise that was not supposed to be challenging to everybody in some way or other. And, and most of the time challenging means there's a level of discomfort in there and, there doesn't, you know, it's the same for yoga and the same for yeah. lots of the other stuff that you would do that might look like, I oh, just breathe and everything sort of magically seems like it's fine. No, actually, you have to work hard. And yeah. working hard means there's some um, challenge on your muscles. And sometimes your muscles might feel like they, you know, having to be, they're in a discomforting place. And you learn whether or not that's a good pain or a bad pain or... Um, yeah, and you yeah. do become familiar with that, and you do become familiar with, you know, of course nobody wants to set off and then hurt themselves. Nobody wants you to sort of set these, you know, silly goals. And some people may think, you know, running a marathon <clears throat> um, seven months after having a baby. Like I say, that's not for everybody, <clears throat> and it, and I wouldn't, you know, sort of um, profess that it that it should be. Um, but you do learn to recognise your, you, you know, your own body, and you do learn to, you know. Is it muscular ache? Is it a good ache because you feel like you've worked? Or is it something that's tweaked, that's, that's uncomfortable? Because you do become familiar with that, as you say. And it's almost like getting to, it's like a new relationship. It's getting mm. to your own body mm. and starting to interpret and understand what the message, you know, the messages that, that it's giving you. And I think, you know, like you say, Pilates, yoga, I do those things. And I've done a yoga class today. I cycled there and I cycled back. And, and I worked really, really hard. And, it's a choice that you have, you know, am I going to hold this yoga pose and am I going to really sort of stretch myself and challenge myself to do it in, in the best possible way that I can? Or am I going to sort of do it half-assed and not really get the benefit? Well, I choose to try really hard and, you know, there, and then, you know, I'm the one there with shaking legs and... <laughs> yes, walking out, <laughs> wobbling, yeah. Exactly, walking out, not into my car, onto my bike and cycling home. Yeah. And, um, I just think it's that, it's, it's understanding that... It, it's possible to to push yourself with with a degree of you know acceptance that, that it's going to be sort of you know uncomfortable but it's possible to um to work with that and I think as long as you have that on your on your you know as long as you expect that and you you are prepared to to work with that you know then you're going to get the, the benefits and you, you're going to you know reap the rewards from it yeah yeah that's a, that's a really good um uh, you know sort of a level of understanding for people um now you mentioned cycling yeah and um i was going to say before that also that you know you started off with doing your first marathon and you got through it and you did a great time for your first time things like that and then you've done subsequent marathons and it turns out you're rather fast at running doesn't it <laughs> and so tell us a little bit more about you know the way you got up to sort of uh, your faster running speeds but then what are you doing now as well yeah um i think it was um it was the year 2013, 2014 when I really sort of took off um, with my running. And I think all that, all that happened really is um, I found a, I was in a, a, a place in my life where, for whatever reason, um, I felt my, my running liberated me and, and I felt um, a, a level of, of freedom with my running. And so I did, I did more of it. Um, I became... 
um, you know, a really efficient running economy um, worked. And also remember that I'd had the past 15 years have been quite a, an averagey, um, you know, a good average, but, you know, a decent one, a bit, but um, I'd worked hard and my body had adapted. Um, so it wasn't a sudden shock um, for my body. But then in 2014, when I really did, I really began to rely on it sort of heavily from my mental health um, well-being and it, it did give me it brought me a huge sense of, of freedom um, and you know I, I began to enter more races and, and do um, you know take part in various different events and a couple you know a few, few more marathons etc and, and pushing myself a little bit to the Dubai marathon and um, you know I tried you know ventured into into you know other places I never never thought I would I would go really with with my running but it was just it was just that it was just doing more of it and, and, and enjoying it and, and loving it and I think then what happened I sort of perhaps began to to overcook <laughs> overcook it um, 2016 you know I was doing I really wasn't resting and recovering enough in between runs I was always running hard um, I was racing an awful lot. So I remember I did the Great North Run. No, I did a 20-mile race. Came I came first lady in that, um, in a 20-mile road race. And then the following weekend, I did the Great North Run. And, oh, wow. and my legs were still quite broken from the race I'd done the week before. And it was just – and then I had the Yorkshire Marathon a few weeks after. And it was just the on – it was the constant onslaught. Um, and And – not balancing things out you know I really was then pushing myself and then it became a, a stick with which to beat myself with because you know we've come we've discussed about you know when is enough enough and mm. you know we're always wanting more chasing after this elusive place of this epiphany of right I'm there now we're never there um and then everything started to sort of fall apart um just by by virtue of overtraining and not resting and recovering enough um so come early part of 2017 um, my running sort of stopped quite abruptly um, which really jolted me and and took me into quite a, a low point mentally um, and from there I had to sort of pick myself up and and work out how to navigate my way through um, and in doing so and coming through that journey you know and from that place um, you know I did discover um riding the bike and you know I really took that you know as I do I'm quite an extreme kind of person um subsequently ended up cycling across Costa Rica um <laughs> as you do yeah moon in in November but it came from a place of you know I had to still find the joy of being outside and training yeah and, and and I loved that journey of starting again and learning again from mm. scratch. And, you know, the first thing being, you know, can I cycle down to the gym five miles away? You know, it consists of two roads and a narrow canal path. You know, can I do that? Yeah, I can. All right, okay, well, let's just, you know, go a bit further and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and then running started to, to come back. And although I've never really – it's never – I've never got back to the place where it's completely, you know, I'm absorbed in it. You know, running doesn't define me anymore. And at one point there was a risk that it possibly did. 
So it's a far healthier place for me to be. I'm enjoying my running again. You know, I'm doing... And that's because you've got some diversity on the types of things yeah. that you're doing. Yeah. So yeah. you can get your joy from cycling and yeah. other things. Yeah. And, and things like, like, you know, yoga, like, um, you know, the you like Pilates, like walking, you know, mm. previously all of those things, they wouldn't have had a chance um, because running just came first all of the time. And I think to balance that out with other things. So now it's opened up to, I'm taking part in Kilda um, Run, Bike, Run in the duathlon event um, next weekend. And yeah, that wouldn't have been a possibility for me because I wouldn't have had the confidence to do the biking element of it. So it's opened me up for other um, sort of adventures that mm. had I not experienced sort of the loss of running as I did in 2017, you know, yes, my running's coming back and, you know, I did, I did complete the Boston Marathon this year and I'm doing park runs and, and it's all, I'm enjoying my running again, but I'd never want to go back to the place where I was, a, a, you know, a slave to it um, because mentally it had been such a savior for me, but then suddenly it became um, everything. Yeah. And suddenly that, that became quite an unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just in the realization of of that one activity not defining me and not being the answer in itself. It's a part of a bigger and a wider reaching answer for me in terms of managing, you know, my wellness and making sure that I that I'm okay. So um it was that realization really. But where am I now? Um I've got loads planned, you know, I'm writing my, my second book, which is about that journey, the ongoing journey. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm running, I'm riding, I'm doing the duathlon, I'm cycling from Vietnam to Cambodia in November. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm in the London Marathon for 2019. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there's plenty going on, but, you know, let's just keep the um, keep the balance and, you know, I sound so bloody grown up and sensible. <laughs> But I think what's been really interesting through this whole chat and what, what really comes out in your book as well is you've had so many different experiences with movement, running, whatever, that, and, and you've yeah. really sort of adapted, changed, learnt from it, taken what you need. Mm. Um, your, your work has changed as you've gone on as well and then and you've had a daughter somewhere in the middle of it and it's been... It's, it's been really interesting hearing how you've experienced those changes that have gone on, which can be so familiar to everybody, um, you know, yeah. dealing with challenges, dealing with family trauma, dealing with your own experience, uh, your own issues and things like that. You know, I think a lot of people can really connect with if not exactly what you're talking about, they're talking about, you know, the life stuff that, that's, that can be very, um, very familiar, I think. And, and it's been really interesting to hear the way that that has changed for you and, and the way that you've learned from each bit along yeah. the way. So. And, and, and I think also, Catherine, you know, at the end of the day, we are all only, we're just navigating our way through. And I think it's, it's yeah. learning, you know, whatever it takes and whatever that means for you, you know, whatever your goals are, they may be very different to my goals. They may be very different to the needs I have, mm. um, my family have to, to you know, be in a, in a good place and in a positive place. And yeah, you're right. You know, we all have these sort of curveballs and adversity and things that we just don't expect and, and things that do come and, and knock us off kilter. Um, 
and there is never a finishing line. There's never a time at which you know we, we stop having to manage and, and and monitor, you know, how we remain stable and be okay. And I think it's knowing that, and we're all on this journey. You know, there's not one of us that isn't, regardless of the posts we put on Instagram, regardless of the stuff we see out there on social media. You know, we are all just navigating our way through and, and really it's whatever the hell that means for for you for me um and whatever you need to do then do that and if you haven't found it yet then try something different <laughs> absolutely yes exactly there's always something else which I think is just the most wonderful thing you know I talk to some of my clients who come in and say things like I realized uh, six months ago that I didn't actually know how to swim um, except for doing a little bit of sort of doggy paddle and breaststroke. And so I started swimming lessons. I was like, wow, that's awesome. Or someone else who comes in and goes, I realized that I loved netball when I was at school, but I haven't played for 20 years. So I joined the local netball team. Amazing, because that is super fun. Yeah. Exactly. And there's always something which I think and, and 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 you know, you've made that really good point. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. We've taken up a lot of your time, I realise. Um and um it's been really brilliant to hear everything you say. I can't wait for your new book because like I said, I could not put your um running for my life book down, um, which I didn't expect in that sort of way. Um and I just found it so um heartfelt and you know vulnerable and and um accessible as well you know really relatable so thank you for for the book because I think it's it's really valuable addition to the things that the stories the conversations that women need to hear um so and thank you for chatting to us um being really interesting that's great thank you for having me and um yeah I'm looking forward to to hearing who you've got lined up for podcast number three so Yeah. yeah good luck with it Thank you very much, Rachel. All right. Bye. Hi, thanks for joining me for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to your podcast provider now to rate and review it. More ratings mean it's easier for others to find it and I can keep on inviting more awesome and inspiring guests on the show. Why not also jump on over to Instagram at love underscore movement underscore Sussex to say hi. If you've got any questions or comments, I'd love to hear them. I hope you have a great movement filled week. See you next time.